hppodcraft.com. It was the design of Angelo Ricci, Joe Zanuck, and Manuel Silva to call on the terrible old man. This old man dwells all alone in a very ancient house on Water Street near the sea and is reputed to be both exceedingly rich and exceedingly feeble, which forms a situation very attractive to men of the profession of Messrs. Ricci, Zanuck, and Silva, for that profession was nothing less dignified than robbery. Yeah. Man, people are taking stuff. Yeah, it's a crime story. I... Yeah, it is a crime story. Yeah, I man. like crime. I do like crime. I mean, not when it's perpetrated on me or anyone I know. <laughs> right, but I like reading about it as, d- it as it pertains to old men. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. That was a uh, an excerpt, uh, the first paragraph, actually, of The Terrible Old Man, which is the story we're covering this week. And, and, uh, and we? We, meaning myself, uh, Chad Pfeiffer. And, and myself, Chris Lackey. And this is the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. HPPodcraft.com. That excerpt from The Terrible Old Man was uh, read by a very talented young man, Mr. Douglas Sorine. Douglas, now I believe Doug is uh, one of one of the perpetrators of that, that fine show, Ask a Ninja. That's right. Uh, if you are familiar with the internet, then you probably have heard of Ask a Ninja, and Doug is actually the ninja. Doug is the ninja. He is the ninja. I could right. never tell. He's the ninja's masked, so well, his identity is secret. It's, I thought. I was secret until today. Oh, wow. I think I just blew some people's minds. Mine? Thinking about old old people in crime, it reminded me of that movie Dog Bites Man. You remember that? Movie? I do remember that. It's movie. Like a yeah, French that's a good faux one. documentary, and and I remember it's about a serial killer. And he at one point he goes into a woman's apartment to rob her, and he he looks at her medication and realizes that she has a heart condition, so he kills her by screaming in her ear, <laughs> surprising her. <laughs> well, that's like the, the lowest form of human being to do that to somebody, <laughs> you know. And uh, clearly, these immigrants that are talked about in the first paragraph. <laughs> I was going to get to that. Yeah, they're just that kind of person. <laughs> I was going to get to that. Well, let's let's just sure. talk about the story. So it starts off, there are these three guys, and uh, they got their sights set on this this old man. Yeah. This old guy lives by himself. Supposedly he's rich mm-hmm. and feeble. Yeah, rich which, and feeble. Which is, sounds awesome. Yeah, If you're a criminal, that's the, totally. that's the target you want. That's what you want. He lives in uh, Kingsport. Yes. Now, this is the first time Kingsport is mentioned in any of uh, Lovecraft's uh, works, so this is kind of a hallmark. In fact, this is his first fictional uh, city that oh, he's made. so you mean the address of this city is in Lovecraft's mind? It is. It is. And, and now in our hearts. This is the first one, though. You know, this is before yeah. Innsmouth. This is before Arkham, even. This is, you know... That's pretty cool. So it's the first one. The so, first time that he begins making this phony New England geography that yes, a lot of his stories right. are set in. And uh, so our, our three criminals have their sights set on this this old man. But what, what is it that makes him terrible? I, I don't understand. Well, he kind of keeps to himself, mm-hmm. and um, the the neighborhood kids they don't they don't care much for him. So they throw rocks and things at him, but they right. but they, they hear stories about him. That, that yeah, he used to be a sailor. Ah, right, he used to be a, a, a captain, captain of uh, East India clipper ships. That's right. Yeah, indeed. And uh, supposedly, people mm-hmm. would would see him like they'd look into his window, and he does strange, queer things. These folks say that on a table, in a bare room on the ground floor, are many peculiar bottles. In each, a small piece of lead, suspended pendulum-wise from a string. And they say that the terrible old man talks to these bottles, addressing them by such names as Jack, Scarface, Long Tom, Spanish Joe, 
Peters and Mate Ellis. And that whenever he speaks to a bottle, the little lead pendulum within makes certain definite vibrations, as if in answer. It's, it's almost like a precursor to Whisper in Darkness, actually, because uh, maybe in these bottles there's the spirit or soul or mind or something of these, of right. these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. He's, he's discoursing. It also reminded me a bit of uh, Bride of Frankenstein, the movie, yeah, uh-huh. uh, the James Whale movie, because uh, Dr. Pretorius, who's sort of the other, you know, the other mad doctor in that mm-hmm. movie, has a collection of little bottles that he shows off that have people in them. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, if, if, and by the way, if anybody hasn't seen a Bride of Frankenstein in a while, go check it out, because that's one of the coolest scenes. He's got a little king and a little queen, and, and they're that's in these right. little bottles, and the visual effects are actually quite good, yeah. you know, for the time. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen that, but I do, I do remember that when I was a kid. And also he's got out in his front yard, he's got some big stones that are arranged in some strange yes. way. They say they're oddly grouped and painted uh as some like obscure Eastern temple. Oh my goodness! It's like a little Blair Witch Project stuff going on. Yeah, out there. yeah. could be a little uh, little Blair Witch, little Blair Witch action going on there. And the kids—that's what I like. These yeah. kids, uh, the bigger kids, stay away from him because they're—they've heard the stories. But the little kids just think he's creepy, so they throw rocks at yeah. his window and break stuff. Yeah, and they run away. But but the people that have been able to look in the windows, they see him yeah. talking to the bottles yes. in there, and and they don't like that. No, no. In fact, it says uh, those who have watched the tall lean terrible old man in these peculiar conversations do not watch him again but angelo ricci joe zanuck and manuel silva were not of kingsport blood they were of that new heterogeneous alien stock which lies outside the charmed circle of new england life and traditions and they saw the terrible old man merely a tottering almost helpless graybeard who could not walk without the aid of his knotted cane and whose thin, weak hands shook pitifully. <laughs> I'm, well, wondering, I'm wondering if this terrible old man is Gandalf. <laughs> Perhaps it could be. It could be. Yeah, that sure. description sounds a little bit like uh, it Gandalf. Does sound like Gandalf? An almost helpless gray beard had his his knotted cane. Yeah, I like how his his weak hands shook pitifully. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> you know, if they if these were like respectful, you know, good blue blooded New England types, they would, you know, they'd revere this old man. Oh yeah, but because they're immigrant stock. Uh, ugh, they just oh, look at his those, hands and they're disgusted because they're evil. Those Portuguese. <laughs> is those that are, what are, are they Portuguese? Well, yeah, I was gonna. Well, one's one is uh, Italian, one is what? Portuguese, it's Christina and one is Ricci. Polish. Wait, really? You know that? So one? I is, do know that. That was okay. uh, that's gonna be. It was gonna be in one of my notes. I was talking oh, okay, about so that. We'll so these are bad guys, but uh, well, maybe they, I mean, they're not totally bad. It says they were really quite sorry in their way for the lonely, unpopular old fellow whom everybody shunned and at whom all the dogs barked singularly. Well, they they do have enough sympathy. Like, <laughs> Look at that, the dogs keep barking at that guy. That's, man, that guy has a rough. Yeah, it's a gonna, shame we've got to rob him. It's a shame we got to <laughs> break his old skull in and take his money. <laughs> and, and I love this. Uh, but business is business. And to a robber whose soul is in his profession, there is a lure and a challenge about a very old and very feeble man who has no account at the bank and who pays for his few necessities at the village store with Spanish gold and silver minted Two centuries ago. What? Yeah, this guy somehow manages to go down. That would be like I go to the Rite Aid and I don't have any cash on me, but here's 20 doubloons. <laughs> Give me my saline solution. Well, I guess they're... <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think it would work. In Kingsport, think, I suppose. I guess in Kingsport, people are a little bit more liberal with what's legal tender there, you know? <laughs> but yeah, I like how he the says... Balloons? 
I love that he says, you know, do these guys business is business. Oh, yeah. It totally reminds me of The Wire or The Shield. Or, right, uh, yeah. um, actually, I was just watching Training Day on TBS the other day, and uh, some goons, they beat up on uh, Ethan Hawke, uh-huh. and then they realize he's actually not that bad of a guy, and the guy's like, sorry, Holmes, you know, it's just business. <laughs> you have to accept that, you know, yeah, when you're well, in the game. Yeah, it's just business, it's man. It's business. It's nothing personal. I'm going to say it. I think that Lovecraft created the modern uh, cop genre. He probably did. Yeah, yeah, he was definitely the one. Right in that paragraph. So anyway, these guys, they're going to, they got a plan. They got a heist plan. Yeah, they picked April 11th. April 11th, which I try to find if there's any significance to Lovecraft and none. I no? Find out. Yeah, I think he just arbitrarily picked it, as okay. far as I can tell. Give it a sense of realism. Yeah, there you go. And they, yeah, they decided that one guy is going to wait down the car. He's going to be the wheel man, uh-huh. see? And the other two are going to go up to the door and, uh, I don't know, get get him to open it up and go in there and... Yeah. Yeah, well, you, Lovecraft uses the term, he says, uh, we're to interview the poor old gentleman. Right. Which threw me off because I, I thought that they were going to... When I first read it, I thought it was like they were um, going to like pretend to be meter men or something and try and ask him some questions. But mm-hmm. what, what he means in this, when he says interview, is they're going to get in there and go, where do you keep your doubloons, old man? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> it confused me, too. I mean, I thought maybe they were going to pretend to be Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses right, exactly, or something exactly. and get inside. No. Um, but no, they're, they're talking about interview with a sap, you know? Yeah, exactly. They're going to make him squeal. <laughs> they feared it might be unpleasant work, making the terrible old man loquacious concerning his hoarded gold and silver. For aged sea captains are notably stubborn and perverse. <laughs> so they're worried, actually. You know, maybe what they're worried about is like, look, I met some sea captains. Some of these guys like to get smacked around. If we go in there and start beating on the old man, we might get the opposite effect. He might, you know. Right. He might make us dessert. He just gives a little, he bats his eyes at yeah, you. he'll give know? us five doubloons. We want the whole thing. We want all the doubloons. Immediately, of course, whenever they talk about him being an old sea captain, I think of either Quint from Jaws uh-huh. or uh, the... The sea captain from the Simpsons. That's the one. Yeah. I was of, yeah, the <laughs> exactly. sea captain from the Simpsons. He's the terrible old man. But so the plan is, two of them, Ricky and Sylvia, go in. Right. And uh, uh, they're experienced at making unwilling persons voluble. It says. So yeah. They beat. They so got they beat some up info. some folks. Yeah. Yeah, they beat up some folks. These mm-hmm. these are not. These aren't the kind of guys you want your sister dating. No, not at they, all. These are bad dudes. Yeah, they're bad. So they they decide to execute this plan. Yes. Uh, and the wheelman goes out there and parks. The other two go up. Yeah, they, he parks in the back. Right. Yeah, and there's this gate. So mm-hmm. the guys, the two guys go into the gate. So they moved up to the one lighted window and heard the terrible old man talking childishly to his bottles with pendulums. Then they donned masks and knocked politely at the weather-stained oaken door. That sentence kind of cracked me up because he's talking childishly uh, to the bottles with pendulums. Yeah. What does that mean exactly? It's just creepy is what that is. bottles are my bestest friends. Or maybe he was talking a little kid voice to him. That makes it even creepier. Let's read Tiger Beat. (laughs) 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 Uh, Also that I think it's funny that they donned their masks and they got all psyched up to go on and beat this guy. Then they knock politely on the door. (laughs) Knock, knock. I'm sure that there's ski masks or nylons. Well, they're probably not nylons. No, they don't. They don't, they don't I, of course, in my head, I imagine domino masks right away, like the Lone Ranger. Oh, no, I thought of ski masks. Even though yeah. I don't know how much skiing they actually did. And when was the ski mask invented? Did people have ski masks in that? I don't know. Masks? They could be wearing Mardi Gras masks. They could be. Or 
Maybe, you know, maybe they're wearing some dead president masks. Maybe they got, like, Teddy Roosevelt masks on or something like that. That would be James cool. James Buchanan masks. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going to be Polk. Well, uh, so our wheelman's in the back, and, you know, all he knows is they go around, they knock politely, and then that's the end of things for him. Yeah. He starts, you know, he's back there waiting. Waiting seemed very long to Mr. Zanuck as he fidgeted restlessly in the covered motor car by the terrible old man's back gate in Ship Street. He was more than ordinarily tender-hearted, and he did not like the hideous screams he had heard in the ancient house just after the hour appointed for the deed. Had he not told his colleagues to be as gentle as possible with the pathetic old sea captain? Very nervously, he watched that narrow oaken gate in the high and ivy-clad stone wall. Frequently, he consulted his watch and wondered at the delay. Had the old man died before revealing where his treasure was hidden, and had a thorough search become necessary? Mr. Zanuck did not like to wait so long in the dark in such a place. It's very Lovecraft, you know, too sensitive yeah, to participate. Uh-huh. Got to wait outside and watch by himself. Yep, yep, yep. It, it actually reminded me of our last story, Statement of Randolph Carter, mm-hmm. where the guy's left out there to wonder what's going on, and he gets creeped yeah, out. Yeah, doesn't know, doesn't know what's going pondering. on. pondering. It's, well, I mean, that's kind of what horror is about. It's about that, you know, you don't have control over what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, you're, 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 you're a spectator or right. a victim. Yeah. And and there's something going on, but you don't know what it is. Exactly. It's unknown. It's unknown, so yeah. therefore you have no control over it. Right. Scary stuff. Yeah. Then he sensed a soft tread tapping on the walk inside the gate, heard a gentle fumbling at the rusty latch, and saw the narrow, heavy door swing inward. And in the pallid glow of the single dim street lamp, he strained his eyes to see what his colleagues had brought out of that sinister house which loomed so close behind. But when he looked, he did not see what he expected, for his colleagues were not there at all, but only the terrible old man, leaning quietly on his knotted cane and smiling hideously. Mr. Zanuck had never before noticed the color of that man's eyes. Now he saw that they were yellow. Yellow eyes! Pretty creepy. It is pretty creepy. Pretty creepy. Do you remember? I think you pointed this out to me, actually. This was a long time ago. They had a um, a PSA billboard for hepatitis. Yes. <laughs> and this made me think of that immediately. It was like a bunch of like punks and teens. Yeah, like like good-looking teens. Yeah. They're like, you know, kind of rough, kind of cool. Right. But they had yellow eyes. They had, yellow, they had like jaundiced, jaundiced yellow eyes. eyes yeah. And it was an anti-PSA, but it totally didn't work. No, they because looked like it, cool werewolves. Exactly. They yeah. looked like some kind of cyberpunk <laughs> werewolves or something. I was like, where do I get this hepatitis? That's so cool. <laughs> But it would be pretty scary, I guess, if he had yellow... I imagine that they're very yellow eyes. Oh, right, right. And I, I didn't think they were, like, jaundices. Like, no. You know, the iris of his eye is, you know, colored yellow and oh, kind of luminescent. That's pretty scary, man. And just, you know, he's in trouble. Yeah. But what, now the turn, that happens. It's, it's kind of a cut. You know, at that point, mm-hmm. there's a cut. You know, mm-hmm. he sees the old man. He gets scared. It's like, what happened to my buddies? Cut to... We're talking about Kingsport. You know, there's some hubbub going on in the yeah. city. It's the next day. You know, what's happening? Little things make considerable excitement in little towns, which is the reason the Kingsport people talked all that spring and summer about the three unidentified bodies, 
horribly slashed as with many cutlasses, and horribly mangled as if by the tread of many cruel boot heels which the tide had washed in. And some people even spoke of things as trivial as the deserted motor car found in Ship Street, or certain especially inhuman cries, probably a stray animal or a migratory bird, heard in the night by wakeful citizens. But in this idle village gossip, the terrible old man took no interest at all. He was by nature reserved, and when one is aged and feeble, one's reserve is doubly strong. Besides, so ancient a sea captain must have witnessed scores of things much more stirring in far-off days of his unremembered youth. <laughs> wow, man. That's the end of the story right That's there. That's it. That is the end. And a cool ending. That's a little different. No italicized no. Uh, sentence at the end. It's kind of a, a little bit of an epilogue, really. You know, yeah, it's like... he, uh, he held the revelation away. I mean, I guess the old man being alive and having yellow eyes is in a way the revelation, but he still doesn't expose anything. There's not, no. you know... No, no, no. And everybody talks about these bodies that showed up, but nobody thinks to ask the old man about mm-hmm. it. He doesn't inquire about Why it. Why would the He's feeble. He's feeble. He has nothing to do with, you right. know, three dudes turning up. Man, it's freaking... It's and pretty creepy. They were saw, you know, they were all cut up and sawed apart by cutlasses. Yeah. Was this some kind of sailor spirits that did this, or... Uh... Could be. Yeah. Could be some, like... Well, I mean, I think the implication is that, like, he had... You know, like pirate ghosts or something yeah. like that. You know, like the names that he gives earlier on. You know, they were, they're yeah, like one is mate something. Maybe. Yeah, Scarface, Long mm. Tom, Spanish Joe. I mean, they sound like pirates. Yeah. Like somehow he got pirate souls and he controls them and or they're his buddies. And, yeah, I think these are his buddies and you know, for some reason he's got an unnaturally long life maybe. And uh, oh right, yeah, that's one of the cool things in the story. They say that nobody remembers. Uh, him being young mm-hmm. like nobody alive remembers him ever being young mm-hmm. it's like yeah that's cool it is cool I, I, I gotta say I like this uh, oh, yeah. story this story is really and, and it's very short but right. I mean pound for pound it, you're getting prime stuff like yeah. there's not nothing's wasted in this yeah like, it's cool it's a, it's a, some criminals getting their just ends last week in the last podcast Andrew had said that the statement of Randolph Carter was less of a story more of an episode mm-hmm. I think this is like that as well right it's, uh, it's an episode and I'm okay with that oh yeah I think all these little episodes, they add up to one larger worldview that Lovecraft created. Oh, Which is absolutely. what makes the whole uh, canon kind of attractive, not just the individual stories. Yeah. And, I mean, that's something that throughout his uh, writing career that Lovecraft did. I mean, I mean, not many of the writers that I pay, I mean, like Stephen King or uh-huh. any of these guys, they don't really have worlds that they set their stuff in. They tell a story. Well, now, I, you're correct. That yeah. mo- mo- however, Stephen King did does do something that Lovecraft does in this story, which is he has a whole uh, New England system of towns that he created, like Castle Rock, right? That that his stories happen in and that he references, and sometimes characters from you know I think like Dick Halloran from The Shining shows up in the Thing. So he does have some of that continuity in the Thing. Um, I'm sorry, not the Thing. It. it. Oh, in it. <laughs> really, I didn't know there was. Yeah, there's, there's little a, crossovers. There's a character from The Shining that shows up in mm-hmm. It. When somebody is recounting something that happened, they actually were with Dick Halloran from uh, The Shining in that incident. And there's little tiny things like that that he does. I did not know that. That are, that are you know, oh, the same thing. Well, it's just like I think the terrible old man, I, I don't know. I think he shows up in another story. He does. A, a matter of fact, he shows up in uh, The Strange House in the Mist. And he's a little bit more benevolent in that story. Oh, right. Yep. 
Oh wait, he lives up in a room, and uh-huh. there's some knocking on the window or something like that. Yeah, well, we're gonna get. Oh, to yeah, that. Oh, you're right. Okay, we'll get to that. That's. But I to- completely forgot yeah, about yeah. that. The strange high house in the mist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I gotta say, I, I do really um, personally enjoy elderly characters, and for me, it's because I find them more interesting. A, because they've had more history on the planet, they've been through more things, they've got more, you know pathos because of all of their experiences and also because they're incredibly flawed and uh vulnerable yeah which inherently makes a character more interesting oh yeah absolutely so if i see a a 20 year old stocky guy you know that looks like brad pitt getting into a boxing ring okay he's probably got a pretty good chance but if i see an old guy get in there you know (laughs) you know he's got a fake hip and you know he's facing (laughs) off against him I'm really worried about him now it's a story (laughs) you know what's gonna happen that's true he's challenged since we're on the subject of old men, my favorite terrible old man, mm-hmm. Lo Pan. Lo Pan's pretty awesome. From dude. Big Trouble in Little Big China. Big Trouble in Little China. I think he's my favorite terrible old man. I was just trying to think, what are some other terrible old men I like? You know, I was like, yeah, Mr. Burns. You Mr. Know, Burns pretty terrible. John McCain, but no, Lo Pan. Poor John McCain. I know, I know. So, can you tell me uh, anything about the background of the story? I can. I tell you quite a bit about the background of the story. It was written on January. We have a date, oh, January twenty eighth. 1920, and was first published in the Tryout, an amateur press publication, in July of 1921. There's one thing I wanted to mention about it, uh, about okay. Dunsany, again. There, there is a Dunsany uh, tale in Book of Wonder called Probable Adventure of Three Literary Men. I read it, and it's it takes place in kind of a magical land, but it's about these guys that are going to rob a dude, and then they kind of flip out. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. But it's they're from magical pretend lands, so mm. it's more weird and stuff. But in the end... Uh, bad stuff befalls them oh. and that story was written in 1912 so some again people you know think he read that and he read then... that and it kind of inspired this but from, from that is much in my opinion different than mm-hmm. this and and i i read that it's very short it's only like a page or two the dunsity tale and it's it's just wacky and really hard to hmm. read in my opinion. <laughs> really strange just like all these weird names and weird places that these people were from and like Zubala and right. Chokata. Hey, we know that Lovecraft likes that kind of stuff. Well, he does, but I mean, man, it's... I'm, well, that's Dunsany for you. Right. For you. Lovecraft scholar Peter Cannon described the story as little more than a polemic against the intrusion of people he regarded as foreigners. Mm-hmm. That is, the non-English immigrants who came in the 19th century as cheap labor to fill factories of an increasingly industrialized America. Right. And that's the the names of those three guys are mm-hmm. one of them is an Italian name, mm-hmm. one of them is a Polish name, mm-hmm. and one is a Portuguese name, right. which happened to be very at that time. There were a lot of immigrants coming over from yeah. those countries. Lots of vowels at the end of the name. Yes, yeah. you know, looking for for work. And uh, Lovecraft once again, yeah. showing his a little xenophobic, his little xeno, his xenophobia shining through in this. Going, yeah. you know what? These people are criminals, mm-hmm. and you know they're going to get what they deserve. Yeah. If they mess with these all these proud old New England wizards. <laughs> oh, knocked on the wrong door, foreigners. And as I said at the top of the of the uh, of the podcast, uh, Kingsport, which is a fictionalized city, mm-hmm. Lovecraft mentioned in one of his letters that he had based it off Marblehead, Massachusetts. Oh, okay. So that's kind of if you've ever been there, which I haven't. Uh-huh. That's kind of what Kingsport is supposed to be like. All right, cool. This kind of fear of uh, of. You know, European immigrants was kind of in the air at the time. The Sacco and Vanzetti trial, I think, was around this time. 1921. 1921. Yeah. So a little after this, but, you know, people... It was a general, widely held fear in America. Of, yeah, uh, it was definitely the, the climate for that. Yeah. 
I don't know where we're going with that. I don't either. But <laughs> just mentioning it's good enough. So what else was going on around the time the story was written? Well, yeah, that's something uh, that... 1920, right? Uh, yes, it was written in 1920, and um, earlier, just months before, in uh, the year before, because this story was written in January, so it's the beginning of the year. Okay. His mother was institutionalized. His mother was institutionalized before he wrote the story? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, all of these stories, these 1920, the last story that we read before this, too, was also written in there. He didn't have uh, siblings... No. Right. No. And his world was one in which he was living among people who were much older than him yeah. all the time. Yeah. You know, his grandfather by this point had already passed away and his mother gets institutionalized, so he's living with these aunts who are, you know, elderly. Mm-hmm. And um he's a grown man and it's it's a little odd. Well actually at this point, yeah, he was living at home oh, with yeah. his aunts, right? So um I imagine that sometimes the way that he reflects on age or his particular obsession with age and decay and uh it's almost as if evil is nested in things when they get very old, you know, in his writing. Right, yeah. I don't know, maybe it's some reflection on the world that he lives in. and Although that, that contrasts weirdly with the way that he presented himself as this old person way before his time. I mean, it was as if he felt like he was 80 years old when he was in his early 30s. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that also probably had a lot to do with him growing up in his peers. I mean, from what I've read, it doesn't sound like he played with a lot of kids when right. he was young. He stayed at home and did his own thing. Like yeah. When he went out in the woods and made his little temples and, yeah. and hung out with his wood nymphs and right, things right. like that, or his dryads, excuse me. You know, he did that stuff on his own. Yeah. You know, he would read these books and then have his little adventures and stuff like that. I'm sure that, you know, he matured fast because he spent a lot of time with adults and, mm-hmm. and he probably always felt older. And that's the end of my armchair psychology uh, <laughs> for the day. But, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, too, is, you know, I always thought Robert E. Howard is, like, a contemporary of his. Oh, no, he was a much younger man than he him. He is. In yeah. fact, at this point, Robert E. Howard was only 14 years old. Right. So and, well, Robert Block, it. as well, was just a teenager when he was yeah. selling teenage H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. Yeah, that's, not, that's something that I... For some reason, I thought they were, like, the same age and they were peers. But mm-hmm. Lovecraft is 30 at this point. Yeah. So, or almost 30. Yeah, his birthday isn't yet. But he, he I think that's birthday. so cool that he was encouraging younger writers. So many people do not have an appreciation for the next generation because they're threatened by them. Yeah, it, older artists, they just don't like these kids. These Well, people in general are always bashing kids, which drives me nuts. Uh-huh. But, but I think it's so cool that he supported these young writers. Absolutely. And, and they gave back just as much. You know, they, they were clearly interested in his work as well. Well, I mean, I mean that's kind of cool like there's sort of a, a cosmic justice to it like the fact that he did this cool thing and nurtured these young artists th- that they kind of venerated him and, yeah sure you know august erleth if it wasn't for him i would know who h.p Lovecraft yeah. was right or is by doing that by you know seeding the next generation he kind of in a in a sense you know was a wonderful old man was a wonderful old man <laughs> <laughs> but you know also at this time period there's a few other things these are some little note tidbits i'm going right. to throw out there feed Just them to me paint mm. a picture paint, paint a picture it. i'm gonna look at it uh babe ruth uh this month the month of the story was uh-huh. written was traded to the red sox shut up it's true <laughs> it, this happened at, before he wrote the story uh-huh. so maybe uh-huh. The terrible old man was Babe Ruth. Oh my God! I just throwing that out there. I don't know if that's true, but uh, yeah. it's a theory I'm working on. I, I just peed I, a little. <laughs> uh, also, <laughs> this is right it's after kind of a nervous this laugh. story. <laughs> this is my apartment that we're recording in. Um, I would have to clean it up. Yeah. Also, this is right after Prohibition took effect. Uh-huh. The 18th Amendment of the Constitution, right. which was on the 20th of January. That's so... why the old man's hands were shaking. Yeah, he had no booze. Yeah, he couldn't get his hooch. 
<laughs> Panther sweat was gone. Uh, another little, little little news tidbit of, uh -huh. uh, of 1920. Uh, good old George uh, Polly. Do you remember George Polly? Uh, I don't know. I don't. Who he was, was known Polly? as the Human Fly. Oh my gosh! I... He, he uh, climbed the New York Woolworth Building. Oh. And got busted for it. Uh, he got he made it all the way up to the thirtieth floor, but he, before he was arrested. Wow, he's like that that uh, French Spider-Man guy that does that now. Yeah, exactly. Oh wow! So there's always been some kind of some dude that's been climbing. Buildings. Yeah, some insect human hybrid yes. that's been uh, fascinating the populace by endangering their own I lives. I don't know why he got called the human fly. I yeah, mean, I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but mm -hmm. why? Because flies fly. He's just climbing yeah. something, you know. And I would think a spider would be way more appropriate. Maybe he threw up on his own food. <laughs> You know? Maybe it has nothing to do with this climbing. It's called the human fly for totally different reasons. Oh, That's... golly. And then the other big deal, Turkey gave up the Ottoman Empire. This is like oh. when the Ottoman Empire finally, and all the little yeah. satellite areas. You know, It's the... a very big deal. Yeah. I think that generally when people think about uh, Lovecraft stories, that they think of that age and that time. And, um, you know, I know that part of the attraction of the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game is that it's set in that really vibrant decade. Yeah. When so many, when fashion was so individual and crazy, and uh -huh. right before that stock market crash, so everybody was just spending their credit and living on the high horse, oh, and right, there were all yeah, the yeah. speakeasies, and uh -huh. obviously organized crime was flourishing because of Prohibition. And uh -huh. It's such an interesting time period. I hope that we get more of an opportunity to explore it as we read more of these stories. I hope so, too. I hope so, too. Yeah. So what do we have next week, Chad? Uh, we are doing two stories next week. Because what? Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Two stories in one podcast? You know what? It's time for a double feature here at the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. We are doing The Tree. Oh, yes. Which some of our listeners have already expressed intense interest. In. Yeah, excitement. Uh, and then we're doing The Cats of Ulthar. Or Ulthar. Depending I, on I, what part I, of the United I, States you're from. I think I always... Althar is how I say Althar? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, though. It's, it's again... In the East, they say Althar, and out here in California, they say Ulthar. Ulthar. Yeah. yeah. It's just the way it's always been. Uh, anyway, we're going to do The Tree and the Cats of Ulthar <laughs> together. Double feature. Yeah. Uh, they're both very short, so, um, you know, you can read them on the crapper. You can yeah. read them during lunch. You could easily read them both on the crapper. Yeah. One of them, even if you, you know, even if you got diarrhea, you could read it. <laughs> 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 well, <clears throat> uh, that's all I've got this week. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Or fortunately. Fortunately, that's, fortunately, all, that's all I have, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, uh, I'm Chad Fife. And I'm Chris Lackey. This has been the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. HPPodcraft.com. Good night. HPPodcraft.com. Bye.